Well, good morning, church. It is always a blessing for us to be together. So we are nearing the end of this message series that we have been traveling through together for the last couple of months. We have looked at, so far, seven different ways that we can move through the world, seven different ways that we might see the world. Uh, And today we're going to be looking at the need to be strong. And you, you may just think in your own life, as you look at the state of how things are going, how often all of us are reminded of how conflict-filled our world is, pretty much in every direction and pretty much over everything. You know, social media has made it easier for us to connect regardless of how physically close we are to somebody else. There's a lot of upside to that. But if you're spoiling for a fight, it means you have access to people that you would have never had access before, that you can You can start to see the world primarily as an us versus them battle that is always raging. One of my uh, favorite books uh, that was written in the last couple of decades is called Peace Like a River. Uh, And I actually found it through a recommendation I I came across from Stephen King. And Stephen King's not usually somebody I take book recommendations from. He kind of gives you nightmares. But he's also the guy that wrote Shawshank Redemption and The Green Mile, and some other books. And he talked about this book being so important for him. And it's got some opening lines that, you know, if you're writing a novel and you want to draw people in, these are some good lines. It's, a, it's kind of a story told from the perspective of a child. And he says, you know, my dad, what he would say to me over and over again is, we in the world, my children, will always be at war. Retreat is impossible. Arm yourselves. Now, Here's what I want you to think about. Does that set of sentences feel like an overreaction to you? Or does it feel just about right? Or does it feel somewhere in between? Because for many of us, these words don't sound like an overreaction at all. We look at the state of things and we are convinced that not only are there battles and and conflicts going on out there somewhere, but we feel as we look at those conflicts that they will never come to an end, that there are sides being drawn up and we need to choose a side, that, that this world is not for the faint of heart, that retreat is impossible and we need to get ready for all of the fights that we're gonna have to deal with some of which we, we could guess, some of which we can prepare ourselves for, some of which we, we haven't even dreamed up yet. If, if you're somebody who reads these words and you think they're just about right, then, then at least part of you understands this, right? It may not be the primary way you move through the world, but it is a way, a perspective that you understand. And as we think about in this series, not only how it affects us, but how it especially affects our ability to relate to other people and to share the good news of the gospel with other people, if they see the world as a war zone, then part of what they need to understand, part of what they need to hear from us is how God can help us in a world that is constantly threatening to tear itself apart. What does the good news sound like? 
if these words sound reasonable. Another way to think about this, right, is, is as you look at the world, many of us might feel like in a world like ours, it makes more sense to fight everyone than to trust anyone. Now, notice it doesn't say it only makes sense to fight. It's just that it feels like it makes more sense to be ready for people to either attack or to betray or to let you down or to not be straightforward with you so that you feel manipulated and misled. So that, that your default setting, especially when you meet new people, <clears throat> is to assume they're working an angle. To assume that they may be trying to get more control than they already have, more leadership authority or power than they already have. And you may feel it the second you're around new people, you start to realize who's in charge of this group, who's in charge of this room, and and how can I make sure that that person doesn't start controlling me? Because I trust myself. I don't trust you. Again, may not always feel this way. But I think almost everybody in this room has had moments where we feel that uneasiness. That sense that maybe it's not so much that the world's a competition, but the world is. It's constantly struggling. And people are constantly either trying to lead or or they're being led, and we don't know exactly where we fit in all that because there's a part of us that wants to be on the winning side, and there's a part of us that thinks that unless we're running things, unless we're making the decisions, we can't be sure that we're on the right side. In your own life, as you think about how you relate to people, how quick are you to close off your heart, to lock the door to say, you know what, you're going to have to earn your way into me opening up. You're, you're, you're going to have to prove that I can trust you when I feel hardwired not to trust you. Like I said, I, I feel like this has probably always been present in our society. I know it has. But what technology has allowed us to do in the last handful of decades it has constantly put in front of us the undeniable evidence that the vast majority of people in the world have moments when they see the world as a war zone and they just want to make sure that there's a place they can be, that there's a place they can go, that there's people that they can belong to that will fight the good fight. I want us to read together in Psalm 5, starting in verse 8, because we're going to find this worldview in lots of different places in Scripture, but especially in, in the Psalms. Lord, because of many enemies, please lead me in your righteousness. Make your way clear right in front of me, because there's no truth in my enemies' mouths. All they have inside of them is destruction. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues slick with talk. Condemn them, God. Let them fail by their own plans. Throw them out. 
for their many sins, because they've rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you celebrate. Let them sing out loud forever. Protect them so that all who love your name can rejoice in you. That phrase, slick with talk, it it carries so much for me, this connection to to how many different talking heads we, we hear all the time in every direction assuring us that they've figured out how to, how to overcome. They've figured out. They, they can promise us victory. They, they can promise us that they're the ones that are going to win if we'll, just, if we'll just follow them, if we'll just trust them. And yet there's this deep part inside of me that says, why are, why are you trying so hard to get me to trust you? Why are you trying so hard to get me to follow you? What's the agenda? I think one of the greatest concerns, one of the greatest fears, one of the things that makes us angry is when we feel like the people who are leading us are misleading us. That that they've got something hidden that we can't quite figure out. And yet we may feel trapped like we don't have any other options Now, I know that's a heavy way to think about the present and the future when it comes to how we're going to move through life, how we're going to move through the world, but we need to recognize it because the fighting spirit, it matters. The fighting spirit is something that I think God gives us to to look at the world and say, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And if nobody else is going to fight for that, then I'm going to find the energy to fight for that. I'm going to find a way. So I I don't want you to hear me saying that, that the fighting spirit is something that we should run away from or that we should deny or that we should discourage. But I do think we have to recognize that if the fighting spirit starts to take over the entirety of our souls, We're going to get to the place where we are so worn out and tired that we're not sure anymore why we're fighting. We're not sure anymore what we're fighting against. We're not sure anymore what we're resisting. So what does the gospel say to us to keep us from falling into that trap that maybe our own hearts have set for us in a world where it feels like it makes more sense to fight than to trust? What does God want us to hear this morning. And I think it's something like this, that having the strength to trust is better than needing the strength to fight. That having the strength to trust is better than needing the strength to fight. Now, we're all gonna have times where we still need to fight. I wanna be clear about that. But we're also longing for a world, a world that God alone can make possible, that that God's inviting us into, where we get to imagine a future where we don't have to fight anymore, Where, where instead of fighting in every direction, we can start to trust Not that people are perfect, not that people always do the right thing, not that people who lead us are always leading us to the place that we feel like we need to go. 
Now, it's in spite of all of that uncertainty that God says, you know what? You can still learn to trust. You don't always have to fight. I want to look again at the book of Psalms because I feel like so much of this worldview is at play in the various worship songs that Israel learns to sing. They tell the truth about how the world looks and feels when there's enemies everywhere. But then they sing the truth to one another about what do you do in response to that. Sometimes you fight, but sometimes these are the words they sing. Don't get upset over evildoers. Man, that is easier said than done. Right? Don't get upset over evildoers. Don't be jealous of those who do wrong and get away with it. Right? That's implied. Because they'll fade fast like grass. They'll, they'll wither like green vegetables. Those of us who don't love green vegetables may be comforted by that. Trust the Lord and do good. Live in the land and farm faithfulness. I love that phrase, even though I'm not a farmer. Enjoy the Lord and he will give you what your heart asks. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust him. Right? And this is the key. Trust him. He will act. And what will he do when he acts? Well, he'll make your righteousness And the sense of righteousness throughout Scripture is not personal holiness. It's society being made right again. Okay, it includes all of us. So when God acts, all the things in our world that are wrong will start to be made right. It'll shine like the dawn. Your justice, again, a social word, not a personal private word. It'll be like high noon. Be still before the Lord and wait for him. And in case you missed it before... Don't get upset when someone gets ahead, someone who invents evil schemes. I've read this psalm over and over and over this week. And as I have, every time I read the beginning and the closing of Don't Get Upset, I see particular people. I I see people who I feel like are getting away with things that aren't right. People who are not just leading, but misleading. They're not telling the truth. They're taking advantage of other people who are scared or or they don't have the, the resources to fight back. And it makes me, I get upset. But part of that is because, brothers and sisters, I'll confess to you that oftentimes when I when I get to that moment where I feel like I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to fight back. It's then that I feel the most alone. And I'm trusting more in my ability to win that fight than I'm trusting God to already be involved in that fight so that if I'm doing anything at all, I'm joining him. And the other aspect of this psalm that's so important is finding peace in a world where it almost feels like there's no peace to be found or, or at least there's not enough peaceful people. There's, there's not enough peaceful situations. Now, when I say peace, I don't just mean the absence of conflict. I mean, I mean where people are getting to experience the good, full life that God created for every single one of us to get to experience, that kind of peace. And it's, it's hard to trust in God When so often we look at situations that we know are breaking God's heart and we ask, what are we supposed to do? 
And how can we be delivered from that bitterness and that anger that I think it sometimes it feels like it gives us the energy we need to keep going, but it's an energy that, that can rot our, our spirit and our bones. It, it's an energy that can take over if we're not careful. I think as we think about the truth of our own experiences and the truth of our world and then God's truth, we come to a place where we can see more clearly perhaps that the gospel means that God is is the place where we start to learn how to trust, right? If we can trust God, God is always worth trusting, that that starts to change not just who we are, but how we see everyone else and everything else, and that, that we can trust God to help us fight the battles that still need fighting on one hand, and then on the other hand, that God can help us learn how to see when it's safe for us to lower our defenses, This is not the most artful way of explaining this, but I'm going to say it this way anyway. When you find yourself in a, in a situation where you know things need to change, and perhaps there's somebody in your life who you feel like is a danger for any number of reasons, and you think, I've got to say something, I've got to do something, before you engage that person, you need to ask yourself, are they evil or are they just dumb? I'm sorry. If you don't say that word in your house, I'm sorry. I, I remember times in, as a daddy that. Are they evil or are they a fool? Is that a nicer way to say it? We're going to stand and sing. I don't know how I'm supposed to. This question has changed my life because if I'm in a defensive enough place, if I'm feeling like somebody or, or a situation, I'm running the risk of being hurt by somebody betraying me, it's like I turn that person without their knowledge into an evil supervillain and they're plotting my demise and they're trying to, to take advantage of me and the, and the situation and I start to assume for them why they're doing what they're doing. Now, this is the deep insight. If we'll let the, the wisdom, unique perspective of the Enneagram kind of slow us down, it's that we need to be really careful to assume we know exactly why anybody's doing anything. Okay, but if I get defensive enough or scared enough or cornered enough, I start to think I know exactly why you're treating me that way. It's because you're plotting to overthrow me. You're evil. But in almost every case, if I can slow myself down enough spiritually to think about who that person really is, who they are to their family, who they are to the people they care about, who they are, not just in the present moment to me, but who they've, who they've been to me in the past, and I'm able to think about the full picture, I usually find out that the, maybe they're not trying to manipulate me or undermine me or maybe... Maybe they just don't know any better. Maybe they're doing the thing that makes the most sense to them and they're trying their best and it's just that they're making a mistake. Maybe they're not evil. Maybe they're just dumb. Right? We all have those moments, those foolish moments. We, we think we have all the information, but we don't have all the information. So we start to act. And from someone else's perspective, it's like, what are you doing? 
well, I'm trying to do the right thing, but I, I could be making a mistake, right? And if we can start to realize that so often what's driving somebody who's doing something that may be creating a situation where it's a fight that needs, it needs fighting, right? It's, it's a battle that needs to be worked out. It's a struggle that needs to be called out. There are, are, are moments where that's absolutely the case. But if we can start to figure out that God is with us and God cares about us and God cares about that person we're having the conflict with and God cares about this world, maybe if we could just slow down enough to think, maybe the person's just broken in a different way than I am. And maybe they don't need me to fight them as much as they need me to connect with them in a way they can handle in a way that feels like embrace and not pushing back or pushing against. Because brothers and sisters, while there's always going to be this side of heaven, there's going to be moments where you and I need to fight the good fight. We need God's wisdom to show us when it's worth fighting or when what would really actually heal the conflict is us being the first one to find the courage to trust someone who doesn't know how to trust us yet. Have you ever had somebody choose to trust you when you've hurt each other? They find the courage first to meet you where you are? Man, I have. I have had people in my life where we, for one reason or another, we're not seeing eye to eye and we're, we're kind of having it out. When I, I first got here, you know, you don't know what kind of preacher you have and I don't know what kind of church I have. Right, when you first get hired, you're all trying to be nice to each other and you're trying to be good to each other and you're trying to figure each other out. But the reality is, it's like a blind date the whole hiring process, and then it's like, okay, what do we really get ourselves saddled with here, right? And I could feel it in the church, and, and you, you, I'm sure you could feel it for me, and that's nowhere, that, that is absolutely true when it comes to how a preacher's gonna relate to elders, right? And you, you trust that you all want what's best for the church, but there's times when you get to a place where things are stressful enough, and by the way, one of the things we all need to remember is because there's things that are worth fighting for and because our faith is central to who we are, if we're going to do church honestly and openly and authentically, we're going to have times where we're fighting about the faith. We can't avoid it, right? We, we've got to do it. If we're going to do it, we need to make sure it's not toxic fighting. We need to make sure that it's healthy fighting, that it's, it's conflict that produces something that would please God's heart. And by the way, God cares as much about how we treat each other in conflict as whatever resolution we come to, right? God cares about how you treat somebody you don't agree with or you don't yet know how to trust, right? But if you can find a way to start to see Jesus in that person, in spite of the rest of it, it becomes a starting place, and I will never forget, right out of these double doors, I preached something in this room when I was a relatively new preacher here, and, a, and an elder named Neldon Watson had a hard time with it. And he was waiting for me out there. 
And I don't know if you know this, but it's usually pretty tricky to have a deep doctrinal dispute with a preacher 10 seconds after they get off the stage, right? You got a lot of things going in your mind, you're exhausted, all that kind of stuff. And Neldon had been a preacher throughout his life, right? So he knew that. So he's waiting for me right outside those doors, and he starts, he starts to have a conflict with me. And he's... I, and I'm thinking, okay, I don't want to be having an argument in a hallway on a Sunday morning right after, like I'm having all these thoughts and I'm not even really listening to him. And he is angry. And then all of a sudden, he stopped himself and he just hugged me. And he said, you know what? I'm pretty sure you're wrong. But man, I love you anyway. And I trust you. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. It changed me in that, it made me feel like this was where God wanted me to be because if we could be a church where even if an elder and the preacher couldn't see eye to eye on a particular passage, right? This wasn't like a big vision thing. It was a particular passage. He'd preached on it more more years than I'd been alive, all that kind of stuff. Man, and I I was getting ready for battle, I grew up in a home where, you know, dinner conversation every night around the table was a full contact sport. I mean, you didn't hold opinions lightly in the Robinson home, and if you hadn't thought it through, man, somebody was going to verbally body slam you on the table (laughs) and feel good about it. And I felt that muscle inside of me. It's the only muscle I have, by the way. I had, I felt it, it engaged, and I thought, I can dismantle this argument that you're laying out in 35 seconds with half my brain tied behind my back. (laughs) But he stopped himself and he hugged me and he told me he loved me and that he trusted me. How do you fight with that? Right? If we could be those, if we could be like Neldon, Right? If, we, if we could find the courage to trust first, now you know, you know anybody you trust is going to let you down. You know anybody you trust is going to have a weak moment that's going to feel like betrayal to you. You know that. But what kind of life are you going to have if you're not going to find the strength to trust anyway? Look, trust is not all or nothing. There's degrees of trust. That is not the last time Neldon and I disagreed about Scripture, right? But we had the trust to disagree in a healthy way going forward. And it meant that he could tell his truth to me and I could tell my truth to him in terms of how we were reading Scripture and something productive could come out of it. Productive things did come out of it. He found the strength to trust first. And it helped me find the strength to trust back. And God can help us have the wisdom to know how to recognize those openings, those moments, those gospel moments in our lives where we're getting ready for a fight and we realize what we really need is to trust. Right? So I want to ask you this question. Go ahead and bring it up, Nate. What if you truly trusted God? 
to make your heart strong enough to open yourself up to others without pushing back against them or setting them straight. Now again, I'm not asking you to to go from trusting one or two people to trusting everybody overnight. I'm asking you, how would your life be blessed? How How would it be deeper? How would it be richer if instead of trusting your instinct to protect and defend and to fight, what if you started looking for openings, for opportunities, for people who aren't perfect, but that somewhere deep inside, you know they're decent, and you know they're trying, and you know they're good. Brothers and sisters, I think it's this failure to do this work collectively. It's so much easier to demonize the people who disagree with you and act like that they're basically the embodiment of Satan himself. It is easier to do that because then you can be done with them and you can feel justified and you can feel like only someone evil would, would think that or say that or do that. And I guess in some moments, right, it feels like righteous anger. But what happens after that moment passes? Do we really believe that the good fight is not destroying our enemies, it's opening up a dialogue that could then lead to someone having the courage to trust just a little bit and open the door and see if another person can trust in return and then move from that place to a real authentic relationship where we hear one another out and we may not change each other's minds, but at least we can see one another as dearly loved children of God again. And if we could get somewhere into that journey, that spiritual transformation, we could get to the place where we realize that God's not calling us to destroy our enemies. God is calling us to save them, to rescue them, to help them overcome their brokenness or their struggle or the sin that so easily entangles Man, that's the fight that we're all called to over and over and over again. That's the fight that we never get to walk away from. And the weapons, the weapons are hard for us to recognize. But they're the weapons of Jesus. It's, It's the ability in a world where everybody has their defenses up all the time. Say, I'll go first. And I can't see the goodness in you right now, but I trust it's there. Let's go have lunch. How are you doing? How are your kids? What do you need me to pray for? What battles are you fighting right now? If, if we could ask better questions that are not designed to win the argument, but to win the person, if, if we could ask better questions that show we truly care about them, the way God cares about them, I think there's new possibilities that just might open up. New opportunities that, that just might unfold. And brothers and sisters, if, if we're waiting for some other group of people to model this and teach the world how to do this, we need to stop waiting. Let's roll our sleeves up and get to work. I want to read some words to you from Jesus. Some of the most challenging words that he ever speaks in Matthew chapter 5. 
You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you that you must not oppose those who want to hurt you. If people slap you on your right cheek, you must turn the left cheek to them as well. When they wish to haul you to court and take your shirt, let them have your coat too. When they force you to go one mile, go with them too. Give to those who ask and don't refuse those who wish to borrow from you. I want to stop there for a moment. I want you to see how much strength there is in these responses that Jesus is describing. There's strength here. It doesn't look like the strength we expect, but, you know, this whole idea of being slapped on your right cheek, that's not about somebody beating you up. That's about somebody disrespecting you. Man, if there's one thing that I don't, I don't like to abide, it's when I figure out that somebody is making fun of me or mocking me or disrespecting me. I want to fight back. But see, a fight that I'm only fighting for myself, that's usually almost never God's fight. <laughs> I mean, I know I can convince myself of that. But usually it's just a petty grudge battle that I want to have. Jesus says we don't have to get even when somebody insults us. We, don't, we have a choice. There's a strength in that, right? Waking up to the fact you have a choice. You're not automatically having to respond one way or the other. And when he says when they haul you to court and take your shirt, let them have your coat too. It, it kind of undercuts somebody trying to demand something from you if you say, you know what, I'll give you that and more. You can't take it from me. I'm giving it to you. There's strength in that. I mean, if, if you're not careful, you're going to read this and you think that Jesus has lost his mind, that he's unrealistic, that this is just in the Sermon on the Mount to be, to be this impossible moral hurdle that you and I can't get over so that we'll fall on our knees knowing that we need grace, right? That this is some place that's reminding us there's no one righteous, there's no not one. Yeah, well, let me tell you something. Jesus, Jesus actually expects us to live this way. It's not a moral hurdle. It's an invitation. It's, it's moral imagination. It's saying, can you, could you see a world where this is what you do with the strength you have? When they force you to go one mile, go with them too. Can you imagine how frustrating it must have been to a Roman soldier to take somebody and say, hey, you're going to drag all this stuff for me. That, that's what he's referencing, right? They were able to take any citizen. They like to pick on people. They, they chose different people who couldn't really fight back. Hey, you carry all my stuff. Can you imagine what it did to that soldier when they got to mile marker one and the guy says, hey, you know, I don't have anything else to do. You want me to keep going? There's strength in that. There's resistance in that. But it is so hard for us to keep holding on to that truth in a world like ours because it doesn't look like strength. But Jesus says trust it because it is and it's the strength of love that can transform the world from a war zone into the place where the Prince of Peace is running things. Okay, let's keep going. You've heard it said, you must love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, keep going, Nate. (laughs) Love your enemies. Love your enemies and pray for those who harass you. Not, God, please kill them. I'm not joking, that's in the Bible. There's times people want to say that prayer. I get that. Sometimes it's the most honest prayer that you can pray. Don't stay there. 
Okay, admit that you go there, but when you start praying for them, you pray that God would reach them, right? And, and when you do that, he says, you'll be acting as children of your Father who's in heaven. He makes the sun rise on both the evil and the good and sends rain on both the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love only those who love you, what reward do you have if you trust only those, right, who already trust you? What? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, just as your heavenly Father is mature in showing love to everyone, so also you must be mature. By the way, that last verse usually gets translated, therefore be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's a poor translation. Because you can't be perfect but you can be mature. Jesus actually expects us to try to live this way, and we can't do it all on our own. But what he's saying is this is the life that you were meant for. In a world where there's enemies, you weren't meant to just fight back and use every weapon you could possibly imagine to get even, even though in in moments that feels like the right thing to do. Jesus says, no, I've come to set you free from that so that you can see the people who want to determine how they're going to be seen by you, that they're against you, that, that there's, only, there's only bad there, that there's only darkness there, that there's only oppression there, that, that there's only betrayal there, that, that as much as we're tempted to label one another that way, that Jesus says, in a world like that, everybody's eventually going to be blind and they're not even going to be able to, they're not going to be able to eat. In a world that runs on an impulse to get even, we're the people who are called to say, we will never, we will never make the choice to destroy the people on the other side we will make the choice to reach them, to be there for them, to care enough about them, to share our sense of how they're going in the wrong direction, but we will see them as the children of God. They really are. And if we're the ones who have to help discover again the image of their heavenly father in them, then we'll stay long enough. We will, we will dream big enough. We will work hard enough to, to uncover all the dust and the grime and the years of neglect to get back to that shining center of who they are, that shining center that Jesus came and lived and died and rose again for. Jesus says because of the gospel, we don't overcome the world through threat of force. We overcome the world through the power of self-giving love. And it is not enough for us to study it and talk about it and tell everyone else they're supposed to do it. You and I, brothers and sisters, have to live it. And you cannot argue against people who are living love. You can't argue I want us to be those people. I want to believe that we can be those people. Not because of anything we do on our own, but because of the Heavenly Father who calls us 
not only to receive his love, but to embody it, to embrace it, to make the argument not with our words, but with our hearts. We're going to sing together now, and as we do, I want you to think about the ways that our world is still filled with conflict, with difficulty, with disagreements, with people attacking one another. I want you to to think of the truth of all that, and I want you to hold up every single one of those conflicts, not just as we sing this song, but in this coming week, I want you to hold up those conflicts, and I want you to ask God to help us find one another again, the goodness, the Jesus, in the people from the other side. And then look for opportunities for God to invite you into that reconciling work because, brothers and sisters, we are not even close to done yet. Let's stand together and sing.